And now, a word from our sponsors. Check out these local gigs, deals and events around Adelaide. Get your kids' ears pierced at Essential Beauty now for just $42.95. Mutilate those little cunts beyond recognition with double operators and minimum fuss. Book at essentialbeauty.com.au. Right, everybody. Just a just a word from our sponsors at essentialbeauty.com.au with a real ad that ran on Adelaide's oh Nova nine one nine. I have so many questions. <laughs> Please. If is is your first question, did that person really say mutilate those little cunts beyond recognition? <laughs> On the radio, and the answer is yes. Weirdly, that's my second question. My first question (laughs) is what forty two ninety five, like what thirty nine ninety nine, forty four ninety nine, forty nine ninety nine. Those are normal prices. Forty two ninety five is quite a strange price. Oh yeah, we got them in Australia. Those are those are big W prices. Mm. Ah yes, they're just trying to trying to just disorient you with pricing like that. Yeah, no, just it's it's. Look, when a person is asked to think of a number between 1 and 10, they'll tend to think of 5 or 7 because that is like the middle of the middle and 42.95 just it, it doesn't seem right. Like all of that stuff they said mutilate those whatever. It, <laughs> this is this is the weird bit in my opinion. It is contrary to logic. It's why I find your country strange. I think all I think our brains got not melted in the '90s, right? Because like there was this big trend in the '90s with our department stores where they all of their pricing was like thirteen dollars forty eight, and like like Edgy said, it's just to like disorient you into thinking like you just you drop everything. You go, well, I don't know whether that's a good price or not, and purchase it. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I'd better get my kids mutilated. I need to ask a question. Yep. Do you have sales tax added on at the till, or is no. the price no. the price? The We're price not the price. those price people. Why would you do that? Why does it make sense to anyone to have that the way that things function? Well, no, it, that's, oh, sp- it, in the UK, the price is the price, but in in Canada and the states, something's like, yeah, it's ten dollars. You come up to the till, and it's like it's eleven fifty. And I'm aware this is like a very um, Dennis Leary complaint to have, but like, why isn't the price <laughs> the price? I think they have to be reminded at all times of every tax that they're paying. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's to breed resentment. And that right. ad, I mean, also, here's the other thing about that ad. The soundtrack, w- what was the ad for? Was it for a it's, dance? It's children, mad, children's mad bass, ear piercings. Bass drops on this beauty store that, <laughs> advertising that is what, on a radio station. That is what every Australian radio station sounds like now, 24-7. You switch it on. You switch the dial to any of our radio stations and you will be subjected to just a random noise generator pumping out that signal. And, of course, um, the, the advertising... All has one quality, which is someone reading to you directly from a script. We are selling product X for price Y. That's it. It just it, it feels to me like Australia has really not passed the financial. Cr- like you're still in a pre-financial crisis world. Strangely, um, it, it it feels like all of your pro- all of your advertising is still caught in the mid two thousands. 
um, you haven't experienced the resurgence of like a sort of electoral like left coalition. Um, it just it it seems like you're still in the politics of like George Bush. Um, it, it's, <laughs> oh, it's we a very yeah, absolutely. Country. We feel we feel no shame about capitalism here. Like this is this is our our being. We we absolutely have not, but. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe maybe there is a theory that we haven't like experienced the financial crisis because I think we did very well out of the um, financial crisis, or certainly like much better than everyone in the OE- OECD. So well, maybe our brains didn't get like impacted by that steel rod. Well, here's <laughs> the weird thing: before I do what I do now, I I was um, an, an economics researcher at a university, and there is a like. There's like a quite, um, let's say, non-trivial body of theory that says that when your sort of entire economy and currency is pegged to the export of commodities, um, then you essentially did well out of the financial crisis because as money fled out of stocks, it went into things like purchasing of oil, timber, um, metals, etc., etc., which means that more of your money needed to be purchased, which means better purchasing power against the rest of the world. So Australia and Canada basically, like, still have centrist liberal parties because the contradictions haven't been forced there to the point that they have everywhere else. Oh, yeah, we're, we're very much a steady hand on the, on the rudder kind of country. Um, we just want, like, no changes, please. Just keep... Driving the boat the same. In, in one direction, please. So, yeah, More so of the same. So it's like time hasn't passed for you guys. The sa- and, and in oh, fact, it hasn't. It, time hasn't passed for Australia or indeed Canada in the way that it has in the rest of the world. It's like my home country, not my current country. And you guys are, well, not Lucy because she's in America. Uh, but, you know the group of people that are in those places are sort of like in a kind of groundhog day of the 2012 Olympics opening ceremony in London where (laughs) everything is just sort of nice and everyone is just sort of happy with stuff and um, there's a lot of celebrities. Well, it's uh, it's probably absolutely not a coincidence then that the all of the episodes that we have done on blackface and <laughs> gollywog sales um are all from canada and australia <laughs> you get you don't get both like you you pick you pick one right like a uh a socialist sort of um uh, ground a uh, grassroot movement and uh not selling gollywogs at the corner store Oh, and uh, speaking of that, it must be time for a message from our next advertiser, gollywogwarehouse.com.au. <laughs> I thought that place burnt down. <laughs> Sex cauldron. Uh, so, uh, no, I'm, welcome. I'm fully, I'm fully ready for you to play an ad for that that has the same tone, <laughs> same music, same cadence, everything. Welcome to Buenta Vista. Uh, you're joined by me, Andrew, uh, Lucy from Hawaii. Hello, Lucy. Hi. Uh, we got Theo all the way up in Brisbane. Oh, we sure do. And joining us all the way from the UK uh, from the Trash Future podcast, it is our British election correspondent, Riley. How you doing? Hi. My voice is disappointing to people who want to hear a British accent. Can you just do <laughs> one for the podcast? I mean, I can't. I, okay. 
I'm I'm about okay. My best <laughs> British accent, it, it just it it sounds just awful. Like I've lived here for like eight nine years, and I still can't do a good one. Like okay, I'm gonna read the in our studio. There's a whiteboard. It says, I'm gonna read the sentence. Hmm. Gave free T-shirt to injured fan. Okay. Gave a free T-shirt to injured fan. <laughs> oh boy, that is oh. not good. Wow. <laughs> so uh, that's way closer to Australian than it really is. That is absolutely. A, you you oh, could pitch that as an Australian accent. I'm sorry. Maybe it's just that you're in the room with us. I'm 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 so sorry. We gave a free T-shirt to the injured fan. Oh, that's not bad. That's, that's better. nice. Sorry, I need no, no, to you need more of that, that tough need, energy. I needed to relax because the only one I can do is the tough one. I needed to relax into it as well. I'm I'm so sorry. We gave a free T-shirt to the injured fan, but like I'm sure we could find you like a camisole or like some short shorts or something like this. <laughs> now you're just doing Hussein from your podcast. <laughs> um, yes, it's me, Hussein. Um, but yes, hello everyone. Hello, uh, Bunta Vista. I'm I'm I am as ever very glad to be here. Um, the injured fan is okay, by the way. Uh, he was hit by a car while listening to Trash Future, then post about it on Twitter. Then I saw the post that was like, uh, I was hit by a car while listening to Trash Future. And I was like, oh my god. I'd better send you a t-shirt. Uh, he's fine now. Which Just is to nice. keep all the organs in. <laughs> <laughs> a medical so, t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we thought we would get Riley on to give us a little update about the impending British election. Uh, because, look, we like to stay pretty far away from international politics on this podcast and also Australian politics. <laughs> They're both... But, but no, Andrew, Boatwatch. Oh, Boatwatch, that's true. That's, that's, that's a bit more local, isn't it? Than the than the old national politics, we I, like to I, yeah. I feel like, like local politics we can local... really dig into because like if we get it wrong, there'll only be like four people <laughs> screaming at us, which is great. <laughs> I can handle that number. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if we if we don't do anything about their complaints, who are they going to tell? You know, the other three people uh, <laughs> <laughs> have to find themselves first. I, I literally oh. have no idea how many people live in Australia. I don't. I, I like. I don't know how many people this matters to. Like, if you said thirty million or six million, I'd be like, yeah, probably. Well, it's closer to thirty these days. We're getting there. One day, we haven't hit 30 yet, have we, guys? No, I think I looked at this the other day. It's 20-something. I thought it was like 27. No, surely not. We'll work this out. (laughs) Uh, For reference, Everybody look out your window and start counting (laughs) as many people as you can see. For for Um, reference, that's the population of the greater Toronto area or Canada. That's uh, what um, two numbers. We we have That's cracked right. twenty five million. Congratulations yeah. to us. Well done, us. Congratulations well. to Australia. You finally did it. We are yep. full. <laughs> I hear we're very <laughs> full. It's too many. Oh, uh, all that explains all the border security stuff. Okay, right. That's fine. Mm. So we thought we would check in and see how is the absolute boy Jezza uh, doing in this his his second crack at a, at a general election? Indeed, this is the second crack at a general election for Jeremy Corbyn. Um, if I was to summarize things, I would say we have no idea how things are going, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, to unpack that idea, it would be that I would have to say that like the UK 
is unique in a number of ways as an electorate. I've actually said on this show before that labor has two modes. It has out when it's in opposition. It has out of election mode and in election mode. Out of election mode because we're dealing with a largely hostile Tory-owned press. Like fifty percent of the news outlets are owned by six billionaires, all of whom are like actual fascists. So mm. like, if Jeremy Corbyn like jaywalks that it will be a huge story about how he doesn't respect the rule of law and you can't trust him with the prime ministership. Like it, it will, it is quite literally that bad. So out of um, rules around PERDA, which require um, regulated um, like press outlets, especially on TV to give equal coverage to both like manifestos and parties and not show preference, then labor's vote, labor's poll share just plummets. And the idea out of election mode is to keep it as high as possible while knowing that we're playing defense. And then as soon as it goes into election mode, we go on offense. So we have gone up about 13% in the polls in the last two and a half weeks. Um, And this is what happened in 2017 as well, where we were polling at like 17, 18, 19, 20% because there are like several pollsters and some of them count and they all count differently. Um, And so there are some who do only landline polls, which you you can basically discount because they're only calling like old people who believe that, you know, their Polish maid is stealing their, um, their, uh, their pocket money or whatever, like discount that people who have landlines, which is Mm great. Exactly. And then there are polls that like will do internet surveys that will like look at people who are likely to vote rather than certain to vote, blah, 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 who will look at newly registered voters and so on. Uh, and those ones tend to get it much more close. So, um, but the whole idea is you look at the direction of travel. A poll released today actually put labor up 5% since it last polled at the same time last week, uh, which is quite a considerable jump. Um, because once the manifestos are released, once PERDA happens, you have to cover it equally, which means that you, if, if labor announces a spending plan, you can't just say labor's spending plans guaranteed to bankrupt economy. You have to say labor's spending plans are as follows. And you can't editorialize it that much. God, imagine... And this, yeah. and this is the, probably one of the things that like stuck out the most to me as a you know not British person watching this watching this election is that like before before this this rule kicked in, Boris Johnson could just be like wandering the streets with horrible old pants around his ankles, just muttering to himself, and all you would ever see is that like. Jeremy Corbyn stands in crowd with uh, somebody who was Hitler's third cousin's grandson. And, like, that's it. And it's it's mind-boggling to me, like, the way that the British press will, will frame this stuff. And the photo of, uh, of Boris Johnson is, like, cropped from the waist up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Well, here's the weird thing. I mean, a- Andrew, like, you kind of hit it on the nail, hit the nail on the head here, which is they always crop the photo of Boris Johnson from the waist up. Because, um, and this is, this is the passion project of someone who actually was like kind of like a center-right journalist who just found himself disgusted with the British press and the way it operates politically, called Peter Oborn, whose crusade now is against what he calls client journalism or court journalism, 
which is the UK press industry that makes its whole business about courting the favor of Boris Johnson. So they're always the first to get the scoop. Um, and so what they'll do is they will consistently frame stories pro Johnson anti-Corbyn to the point where there are some journalists where um, Labour will have announced a policy, for example, that says uh, we are going to eliminate hospital car park charges. So if you're going to park your car in a hospital for an hour, it's usually £2.50. If you're there overnight to care for a sick relative, it adds up. Um, the Conservatives announce an almost the same policy, but ridiculously means-tested, uncosted, and probably more expensive and less helpful. And the same journalist, a guy called James Ball, reacted to the first policy by saying, oh, it's unrealistic. How are we going to pay for it? I don't think this is really going to work. Bad policy by labor. Reacted to the second policy and said, an interesting policy. Let's see how it plays with the electorate. This could really win things for the conservatives. Where it's like, it's it's the same fucking policy. It's the same also, policy. Hang on, same you must guy. pay two, two £2.50 for hospital parking? Yeah, because... Um, we are fucking up. Yeah. <laughs> Under under the last Labour government, um, uh, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, they just they fucked everything up. They privatized uh, not just the hospital building, all all of the infrastructure around the NHS got privatized under something called PFI or Private Finance Initiative. So basically, if you had a hospital, what they would do is they would say we're going to sell the building and the infrastructure to a private company that's going to rent it back to the state. But then, because the private company was like, wait a minute, we're the only ones allowed to perform services on this um, whole estate, we can say, all right, you want to change a light bulb in this room? That's 100 pounds. It's 100 pounds to change a light bulb. You want to uh, fix the wiring here? 1,000 pounds. Uh, oh, oh, you want to park? Oh, a parking lot? Oh, it's, it's 2 pounds 50 an hour uh, to park. Oh, your staff? It's still 2 pounds 50 an hour. Uh, oh, you, you're a nurse and you make uh, 21,000 pounds a year? Yeah. It's actually going to be a seventh of your wage, total a year, gross, to park at your job. And we were just fine with that. So you've uh, you sort of touched on the very tight control of the media over there from uh, from all of your, your fun fascist media owners. We oh, love them. In fact, they just bought another one. Uh, okay. Viscount Rothermere, the guy who owns the Daily Mail, who's called Why Viscount Rothermere. Sorry, say Come his on. name again. Excuse me. <laughs> I don't know his actual name. I just know he's the Viscount Rothermere. <laughs> Is this a fucking Ostrogoth? <laughs> what? I mean, I'm I'm sure that he's like has a, a, a mosaic of himself somewhere, uh, <laughs> you know, holding a scepter and an orb. Uh, but no, this is a guy called the Viscount Rothermere, and he owns the Daily Mail, and the he owns Viscount a couple. Rothermere. Yep. Uh, his father, the first Viscount Rothermere, started the company. He inherited it um, and then kept it doing fascism. Uh, and now they've bought uh, another newspaper called The Independent, oh. which used to be independent, but now isn't. It so now the confusing is owned thing by here, the Daily yeah, Mail. Sorry. It's the confusing the thing Mail. here is all of our newspapers have the same names as your newspapers. They really except do. Except instead of being owned by the Viscount Rothermere, they're owned by like 17 fail sons, all of which are named Duncan. And they get into <laughs> fistfights at the uh, parking lot at McDonald's. Oh, so, so here's the thing. Our, our fail sons are still getting into fistfights, but not in the parking lot of McDonald's. They're getting into fistfights like at the in bloody the staircase Tesco's. leading up to White's Gentlemen's in Mayfair. <laughs> 
Oh, oh dear. So, um, as you said, it's uh, you guys do have that dominated media as well, but you also have the public broadcaster, the BBC. Oh, no. Now, this is a very familiar concept to us as people who have the ABC, our own public broadcaster with its, you know, legislated impartiality, that kind of thing. But we also have our own interference from the government in the sense of, um, you know, conservative governments appointing... Let's wait for one second. Um, we have our own problems with conservative governments then saying, oh, the ABC is so biased towards the left when, you know, in reality, all of the surveys uh, that they do around trust in the media consistently shows the ABC to be the most trusted source of news in the country. Um, all the other ones are owned by some Murdoch guy, so I don't know why that happens to be the case. Hmm. So the... The conservative governments that we have uh, then get in and when they're up to, you know, appoint a new uh, chairman of the board for the ABC, we'll say, hey, we've appointed some guy named Mr. Murdoch Jr. or whatever. (laughs) Um, Very, very subtle power moves, you know. So it seems like you guys are having a similar issue at the moment where uh, the BBC seems to have been fucking up a whole lot during this election. Um, but strangely, all of the fuck-ups seem to just favor Boris Johnson and the Tories? Oh, God, what a damn coincidence. Isn't that, isn't that strange? Are there, can you walk us through like some of the examples of this happening throughout the yeah, campaign? Yeah, so there, there are a few, right? There are, and you can think of them on a, a few levels. So you can think of them like systemic-level fuck-ups, where like Jeremy Corbyn was invited on, on and went on the most confrontational um famously difficult uh interview show that the country can provide right um andrew neil and then like had like a very hard time had a, a lot of very hard and some would say unfair questions asked of him um and then Boris Johnson's team said, ah, oh, oh, the BBC forgot to fix a time with us. And you know what? We're not going to go on Andrew Neil. So whoopsie doodle. Anyway, uh, see you at the polls because the conservative strategy has been to like hide Boris Johnson from the people because every time he goes in front of the British public, like the conservative lead drops precipitously. <laughs> um, but... Uh, the other so these these are the big things right where it's like they clearly just forgot to schedule Boris Johnson for like the hard interview right and then after the uh, the attack that happened on London Bridge yesterday where the, some some guys were like got some knives out and started stabbing some people the police had to intervene it was classed as a terror attack and so on they were like we're inviting Boris Johnson on to Andrew Marr the like softball interview show where the hardest question they ask you is how's your day been um, to, to heal the nation in the wake of the gr- gruesome terrorist attack, this kind of thing. Like you're like, oh, come on, you have to be fucking, you don't do this by accident if this is one of 30 times something like this has happened. And then there are the small things, right? So one of the best examples, one of the ones that's really stuck in my mind is that as part of the Green New Deal, Labour has announced, or the Green Industrial Revolution, because America had a new deal, we had an industrial revolution, um, we've said, we're going to plant two billion trees. And that sounds like a lot of trees, um, if you don't think about it and don't do any comparative research. If you do five minutes of just Googling, you'll find, oh, 
um, about a thousand people employed seasonally for a few years could plant two billion trees. That's completely reasonable if you have a few people employed full-time seasonally. A few people, like a thousand people employed full-time seasonally. That's what Canada does. That's what like lots of countries do. But the, a lot of BBC figures immediately jumped on that two billion number and said, oh, this is the election of Boris Johnson's lies versus Jeremy Corbyn's two billion trees and just didn't bother to check if like that number that seemed big when you look at it and don't think about it is reasonable. <laughs> there couldn't uh, possibly be two billion trees in the world. <laughs> no, two billion. Why? A billion is too much of anything. Uh, I couldn't. It, it, they take the same approach that Mitch Hedberg takes to pasta, which is I'm never going to eat a bowl of, of, of pasta because I don't want to have a thousand of something. Where it's yeah. like, yeah, but it's small. Um, and it's the same thing where it's like, yeah, two billion trees. What? Insane. No, no one can plant two billion trees. It's like Canada plants like twice that much and, and as many years with a pretty reasonable amount of people. And they were like, nope, it's two billion. It's big. That's clearly a lie. Corbin's lying, blah, blah, blah. Because the BBC and the journalists they employ, I, this is purely my theory. Uh, and you can see it, especially with ones like Laura Koonsberg. I think see themselves as the guardian of what's acceptable and so they look at their jobs as pointing out and highlighting when politicians say things that are beyond the pale because their job is to warn people of when politicians are beyond the pale but when your Overton window is the Tory right from Enoch Powell which it's always been which has been like a thing that's been accepted in this country since forever that we have this like fascist tendency that has to be like accepted but managed um and then you've got like the post thatcher left which is you know crushed unions and tony blair deciding just to like make thatcherism friendly which is what his whole legacy was when you move beyond that Overton window, then the BBC reports everything you do is outrageous because most of its journalists are like 50, 60 years old. Like, they're people who have come up. They've all gone to the same school. They've all mm. gone to Oxford or Cambridge together. They, like, all kind of know each other. They've all been friends for decades. And they've got this idea, whether they recognize it or not, like, they probably don't wake up saying, well, time to fuck with Jeremy Corbyn. They probably just say, well, time to protect Britain from unreasonable ideas by alerting the public to what's strange, eerie, and weird. And so they can't understand, or they refuse to understand, or as part of becoming a BBC journalist, you have to replace all the piping in your house with lead piping so you get extra stupid. Um, and you just then begin to think of yourself as the guardian against anything that is beyond the 2012 consensus of what society should be. Uh, and so if you get too redistributive, like, oh, no, that way, that's, that's the Soviet Union. I remember them. Oxford said they were bad. Um, and then if you get too fascist, they're like, oh, we should do what they want so they don't get more fascist because they came up in a fundamentally right-wing atmosphere where the right was normal like the center right was what's regular and so they just they cannot accept that the ground has shifted under their feet and so my concern is that our public broadcaster and like don't get me wrong having a public broadcaster is an incredible resource like something that is 
required by law to be impartial is amazing if that can be done properly, if that can be rigorously enforced, if that can change with the times, if that can understand what impartial is when the Overton window changes. But the BBC has shown itself to be incapable of that. Uh, it, it, it is stuck in this pre-financial crisis, like liberal um, uh, uh, viewpoint. And it's just not able, it's not able to move past it. It is still negotiating with fascism and pretending the left is illegitimate. Um, so it's quite frustrating to deal with. I, th I think we we seem to be on the verge of, of this very similar thing in Australia where I, th I think that we have a relatively similar journalistic class in that the majority, not everybody, but I think that like a lot of uh, our prominent journalists and people who write for the larger papers are primarily, you know, white private school kids who went to the same private schools that our politicians went to. Um, there's those other traditions that I think a lot of people see a problem with, like um, we have a thing in Australia called the Midwinter Ball, <laughs> which, yeah, which is once a year. Um, it's it's very similar to the, what's the name of it? The, the White House uh, press correspondence dinner thing you know um how they have one night where they all get together and have a good laugh just impartially you know? just impartially just hanging out with my politician buddies letting their hair down with all the people that are you know implementing robo debt it's fine yep we all give each other a polite roasting mm -hmm. um and e even worse though than the press correspondence dinner is that in Australia there is like a little a little friendly agreement between Cone of silence a little friendly agreement between the politicians and the press that nobody will air anything that goes on at the midwinter ball so um, basically they have a bunch of politicians and a bunch of uh, members of the press get up and all make funny jokes about all the things that happened throughout the year and everybody agrees that nobody will actually say anything to the public about what went on there and apparently there's just a whole shitload of people who can't see any kind of issue with uh, the, the press and politicians being closer to each other than they are to the electorate. You who know? needs integrity? Journalistic integrity. It's not necessary. No big deal. No big deal. People and love we have trusting our own journalists in Australia. The public trusts every journalist. We, of course, have our own issues around um, access journalism as well with uh, very much the same thing you were describing around there are a lot of journalists who, it seems, will basically not air things that are critical of particular politicians because they still want to get uh, they still want to get drops from them. They still want to get anonymous tips about things. Um, we do. There are, you know, some journalists like so uh, friend of the a show, Andrew. If, if I can jump in, I'll say, yeah, we don't even have that. Um, our journalists don't even want anything in return for showing deference to the government. They have, and this is like, um, Peter Oborn has been like quite good about this in, crit in criticizing court journalism. He's interviewed senior BBC figures who've not gone on the record saying they don't think it would be proper to show that the prime minister is a liar because it would undermine trust in British democracy. Oh, I remember this. Oof. So they're not even getting anything for it. They just don't think it's right to do because of some code of rules that they invented. 
which is definitely not like a it's not unique to any one place so even even in America which has an entirely different press situation it's taken them a very long time to come around to the idea that maybe you can call Donald Trump who is a quite obviously a pathological liar well, he's a very racially charged man <laughs> <laughs> Where yeah, that that's right. Where this sort of they have no idea what actual impartiality means, right? So they hold on to hold on to that and and say that that it means not saying anything at any at any time. Um, and we get a lot of that, you know. Certainly, I think from from our ABC, where uh, there's been a big you know constant tug of war, as kind of Andrew was saying with. Um, um, trying to trying to rem- keep up the appearance of being Im- impartial because uh, if you ask the person on the street um, and they don't happen to be you know uh, left left wing they will say that the that the ABC has a left bias right so they are always always now trying to trying to remain you know quote unquote impartial but it's not in the it's not in the sense of impartiality to uh, you know, it doesn't matter who's which side is right or wrong. It's just whatever's true. Uh, now you know you can't say what's true without couching it in the language of also. Well, another thing might be f- the the thing that's false might also be true. Who's to say, right? Like we've just lost our minds as far as uh, what actual uh, journalism and truth telling in journalism is. Yeah, Theo, yeah, the, I think uh, you've hit. I think you've hit the nail on the head here, and this is true of the U.S. as well, the U.K. rather as well which is that journalists at um, all of the supposedly either impartial or even like left of center outlets have all kind of bought the narrative hook, line and sinker that they're left wing biased. And so they massively overcompensate to the right. And so there's this idea, I think, at the BBC where I don't think they think that they're pro Johnson. I think if you asked any BBC person, if you gave them an injection of sodium pentothal, they wouldn't they would say no, I am rigorously fair. But I of course as a person, I Laura Koonsberg am obviously a journalist and I'm a liberal elite, which means I have to make an effort to understand and couch all of my all of what I say in, well, hang on, I'm left-wing biased, so I should make sure I'm being fair to the right as well. But A, I mean, they're just, they're they're liberals, they're sort of centrist, establishment, whatever, whatever. But what it means is, because they've bought this narrative that there is an authentic British person who's smeared in coal dust and saying the N-word at a pub on Tuesday at noon, you know, like, that's the real British person, and that that's the person they have to play to. But that's a total invention of other people at like right wing think tanks and right wing owned like Viscount Ruthermere owned papers like the Daily Mail that that's the invention of what an authentic British person is. Well, that's entirely false. It's, it's a complete fabrication. But most BBC journalists have just bought this fabrication hook, line and sinker and then just pander to an invented authentic Brit. I mean, so there's this um, there's this idea, and I, I see it in Australia, but like, it it's really at its greatest st- sort of um, sharpness in Britain called authentocracy, which is like when Owen Smith, a right wing challenger of Jeremy Corbyn, who once said, "Actually, I'm very normal. I have a wife and children." 
Um, yeah, it was quoted in the paper as saying that. Exact I get up phrase. every day and say that. <laughs> mm, another day of being regular. Uh, I'm Owen Smith. I, I wake up literally every morning and now it's his time to be regular and say my name. Um, no, so he uh, he once pretend he once went to a coffee shop in his constituency in Wales. They said, Ah, Mr. Smith, you're regular, and they handed him a cup. But then it was a cappuccino, and so he like panicked and said, Oh, I I I, I don't know what this kind of frothy coffee. He pretended not to know what a cappuccino <laughs> was. Oh it was very clear he was faking. But I, I feel like there there would be some actual real psychic damage done to a country um, who's where where you saw a prime ministership destroyed by eating a bacon sandwich wrong. Yeah, I mean it's because like the British press like really like it sees its role as the guardian of reasonability, but reasonability is construed in the Brit- Britain as such a like upper middle class version of what's reasonable. And so Ed Miliband was portrayed as beyond the pale. Gordon, uh, people forget this. Gordon Brown was portrayed as beyond the pale left. Like the Lib Dems at the time that Brown was prime minister said, okay, we could work with another labor leader, but not Gordon Brown. He's too left wing. He was Blair's shadow. Uh He was Blair's chancellor. Hey, we've had some technical difficulties with our audio, and we've lost a little chunk. But, like a true, wonderful friend, Riley has come back in the space of, like, 24 hours uh, to record a little bit more so that we've got something to fill that void um, in your podcast and your heart, I assume. Yeah. Uh, Uh, So, Riley... I'm here doing what I do best, taking up space. (laughs) Just killing time. <laughs> professionally killing time. Just doing some of that dumb Twitter shit where they're like, oh, it's a hot dog, a sandwich. And it's like, no. All you're doing is being like, hey, I'm bored. I'd like to say something, but I'm not thinking about anything enough for it to be meaningful. Uh, is it uh, emotional labor to ask your friend to listen to any word that you have ever spoken? Uh, oh, yeah, that's a big yes. I've always said that um, from an emotional labor perspective, the best move you can do, like the most considerate thing, is leave all of your friends a voice message uh, saying that you're never going to talk to them again, but that you've transferred them enough money for some professional therapy. There you go. That really is the most considerate thing you can do. Um, so with that, we will segue into, um, we've asked for some questions from the Bunta Vista Discord, which you two can get access to by going to patreon.com slash Vista, slapping down your five American wing wangs a month. Uh, so we asked for some questions about UK election time for Riley and our dear sweet beautiful patrons that have come through. Uh, Flashman, friend of the show Flashman asks, uh, what kind of self-care are you practicing or do you recommend during the election, Riley? Um, okay. I, a lot of what I do to keep from like going crazy during the election is I have to remind myself that like all of the news you read is part of the organization of um, capital essentially that you know there is that there really is sort of these people sort of part of these people's jobs is to like keep Jeremy Corbyn out of office by like just making him look bad so you have to understand that a lot of what you read like just isn't neutral it's part of the other team and so you can stop, you can stop feeling sort of down about it because 
it's like saying um it's like if you're playing football and the uh the the other side sort of has the ball and is sort of making a play up the field it's like ah oh, damn they're gonna score it's like wait a minute no it's part of the game to make sure they don't um so it's like putting everything in in con in the context of no this is part of the contest this isn't neutral reporting on the contest the other team says that they've scored five goals to the referee you can't just be like oh what really wow <laughs> i didn't know how they met a lot that. of goals <laughs> that's a lot of goals just now and i didn't see any of so them a bit, go in. so a bit of compartmentalizing basically hmm but also, like you, you have to, you have to be able to. And I know this sucks, and it's really predictable. You also really do have to be able to turn off. But I'll tell you. Um, but that's not just what I want to say. I'll tell you one last thing on this, then we can move on to another question, which is, you. When I used to be in in university, like I get like horrible, horrible anxiety, like awful anxiety. I, I would walk around. I'd be going to lunch, and I'd be like, I can't believe I'm going to get zero on this exam. <laughs> And the only way I could make those feelings go away uh, was to revise. Uh, because I'd be like, well, I could either be revising or not revising. And the thing that's going to make me less likely to get zero is to revise. And so basically, it means that whenever I feel really, really anxious about the campaign, um, I go canvas. Huh. Well, that's good advice, really, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, let's see. We also have uh, wife of the show, Aaron. Sorry, lover of the show. I've accidentally upgraded him. Uh, asks, does Labor have a Matt Hancock-esque Labrador candidate? Ooh. Uh, now, listeners of Trash Future might be more familiar with the concept of a Matt Hancock-esque Labrador candidate. Um, yeah. So, to explain to anyone who doesn't also listen to, to our show what a Matt Hancock-esque Labrador candidate is... Uh, the secretary of, like, the minister in charge of health and social care in the UK uh, is just sort of like a, like a really, like a really optimistic and cheerful, for lack of a better word, Labrador, who, like, gets deliriously excited at the prospect of, like, putting another element of the health, of the country's health services on your phone as an app, but, like, is a true believer in the idea that like Skype could replace your doctor, like as though we haven't had phones for you know quite some time, <laughs> but um, uh, it's a, he, the the fact that he gets sort of so deliriously excited about things on face value is why we call him a Labrador. Is there a Matt Hancock equivalent for labor? Let's see. Well, I mean, I think part of the whole point of being on the labor left is. That like being on the left is the product of a critique, like it's the it is there it is inherently based on a critical understanding of society in a way that you can see its flaws and want to change them, whereas um, you know being a Matt Hancock Labrador is specifically about not asking difficult questions and having yeah. your first and last reaction to anything be ooh cool. Well, something that I remember um, across the last couple of years in UK politics was both the um, a lot of the very large expenses scandal stuff, mm-hmm. um, but also uh, I, I seem to recall a lot of people leaving the party um, over Jeremy Corbyn becoming yeah. leader and breaking off and forming, uh, you know, the the smart independent party and. <laughs> And immediately, like, sinking into the ocean, you know. I mean, it would um, be one of them. Yeah, I was going to say, I, so, I, I'm sure I would be right to assume so I would that say the like, dumbest uh, members of the party. In terms of current uh, front bench, 
Like they're really like there there are better and worse front bench members, but I'm not willing to say that any of them are a Matt Hancock style of dumb just because it doesn't lend you doesn't lend you to being there. But I mean, um, I think that like all of the uh, or, or many of the um, like many of the Change UK people, I think Mike Gapes. Mike, I'm going to go with Mike Gapes. Final answer. Um, I love saying that name. He's he's not a Labrador style of dumb. He's a um, more of like a, a sort of aging attack dog style of dumb in that he only knows uh, charge, bark, and bite. Uh, except the difference is he is shaped like and has the politics of uh, a perfectly red Pac-Man. Um, but <laughs> if uh, if all of the dots that Pac-Man bites are little nukes and then the big dots that pac-man bites are big nukes and the ghosts are uh, everyone on the left um everyone in another country uh because he loves war because he is elected in the 1990s on the basis of being a serious blairite labor guy who's you know um who's serious about national defense and doesn't want any of this any of these um social services coddling our boys and who doesn't love a spot of war? You know? Uh, not Mike Gapes. I can tell you that much for sure. The last <laughs> funny thing about Mike Gapes is that every after he left and joined the independent group, um, or Change UK, or whatever it was calling itself at the time, uh, A, I believe he's the only continuity member. All the rest of them have either joined the Lib Dems or formed other breakaway parties. So he's like, continuity Change UK. <laughs> um, and... Uh, he whatever you want every time he would post on twitter people would be like yo call a by-election if you're so confident that like the people of ilford south wanted you and not jeremy corbyn's manifesto and so he used to post his majority on his twitter he was like elected in 2017 with a majority of 10,000. and and now he's polling at like i don't know 50 votes oh mike uh yeah and of course the funniest thing about mike gapes is Mike Gapes. Yes. Uh, folks, friend of he the does. show. <laughs> uh, endlessly gaping. Friend of the show, Debaser, asks, Will Corbyn nationalize Games Workshop? And if so, will we get to choose our faction or will it be assigned? Uh, no, everyone will have to play Imperial Guard. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and also, they're, they're taking away. It's um, interestingly. Um, the Imperial Guard are no longer called the Imperial Guard. They're now called the Astra Militarum. Uh, not because Games Workshop has a weird Latin fetish, although they do, um, but because Imperial Guard was a difficult term to copyright because so many different things could be called Imperial Guard. And Games Workshop loves its copyrights. Like, loves That's its true. copyrights. Thank so, uh, under a Corbin premiership, uh, generic Games Workshop alternatives uh, will be more available to all. <laughs> Uh, lover of the show Willis asks um, So how long has the Queen been dead for? Uh, oh um, The uh, lizard people that inhabit Buckingham Palace Aren't meaningfully alive or dead in any sense They're sort of like mm -hmm. the scramblers from Blindsight uh, I would put it to the Queen that That which is dead cannot die You know? Yeah, yeah You know? Mm. They're uh, I mean, well, the question is Are they great old ones Or are they Blindsight aliens? And that's maybe we'll find out post-election, depending on what happens. Yes, it turns out the queen actually wasn't a person in the traditional sense. She was uh, radially symmetrical and had neurons distrib distributed throughout her entire body. And while she wasn't <laughs> conscious, uh, she was hyper intelligent. 
Now, we got a question here from a friend of the show, Retro Vertigo, asks, uh, best guesses to when Scotland secedes? Um, I mean, it really... I'm going to sort of default to something that um, frequent, uh, and fr- frequent guest of and friend of uh, Trash Future, Tom Cabassi, likes to say, uh, which is that uh, only suckers in politics are making predictions now. All you can really say is that volatility is up. So when vol- when you say volatility is up in politics, what you mean is that um, the if you like the uh, the bridge the the bridge uh, from of predictability uh, from zero, which is current things you're currently experiencing now, to the odds of something happening later gets much longer. So. Um, a wider uh, out, a wider um, range of outcomes is entirely possible. So I wouldn't say that I'm willing to say when Scotland could go independent, but depending on the outcomes of certain, well, other elections, uh, it's actually more likely to have its vote get put back to, uh, the independence vote get put back to the people. And that could happen in a couple of ways. So they could unilaterally demand it if Johnson gets a majority and then... Um, they would say that the the actual practice of Brexit has changed materially changed the constitution, and that they are going to do a second independence referendum, and that would get quite messy. Uh, or it could a second independence referendum could be part of uh, a Corbyn Sturgeon uh, agreement um, because Corbyn is unlikely to get into Downing Street without help from Sturgeon. Um, mm-hmm. But. You know, you can we so we can say that those two scenarios it's um, are, are entirely possible. Uh, but you know, and also, who can say if they would if they would win? I mean, uh, a more sort of socialist UK that has that has more concession, meaningful concessions to social democracy in Scotland. I mean, that's less. That's you're likely to have a vote for a vote for Scottish independence, but you're li- more likely probably to get a no vote than the more chaotic Boris Johnson-led option, which would be um, a unilateral declaration of a, of a Scottish independence referendum with a more likely yes vote, right? So it's you can see that like, you can't meaningfully say, well, this is going to happen then. What you can say is we are in a situation where volatility is so high, it's better to think of what are the paths to these certain outcomes than what are the likelihood of them. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Continuing on, we've got wife of the show, Nand, uh, asks, please explain how Australia has basically only two parties in a preferential voting system while the UK has fucker 15 million parties in first past the post. Um, I can't say much about, about Australia. Um, I think the UK, it's again, it's very, very interesting because the legacy of the UK's parties are, um... Are essentially, like, there always have been the Tories. Like, as long as there's been a parliamentary system, there's been the Tories. And it was the Tories uh, and Tories and the Whigs, the Tories and the Liberals, now the Tories and Labour. And the um, different parties tend to be splits from either the Tories or whatever the opposition party is. Uh, this is partly because 
Uh, the first past the post system in Britain sort of is built to favor the Tories. I mean, before there were sort of rationalizations that happened in the 20th century. There used to be boroughs of like 10 guys that would just like be bought off by someone from who's never been to that area to just vote for them every year. Um, so, I, and, and the story also of how we get so many parties now is one of splits. So uh, the Liberal Democrats, um, they actually split from Labor in the early 1980s because uh, Michael Foote was just too damn left wing. Uh, just like Change UK split from uh, Labor because Jeremy Corbyn was too damn left wing. The difference was the people in the 1980s, uh, Roy Jenkins and the like, the people who de- in the Houston Declaration were at least minimally competent and weren't just like huffing their own farts given back to them in a jar by journalists. Um, and so they managed to at least like have a party that always had a couple of seats, um, even though they were sort of you know always awful and deluded about their own electoral prospects. On the right, um, parties have tended to sort of split from the Tories. Uh, That's sort of a new phenomenon. The parties really didn't used to split from the Tories, um, but the, uh, Europe just proved to be such a wedge issue after um, the European exchange rate mechanism. Uh, fiasco of the early 1990s, uh, which is basically a, a sort of a highly technical monetary policy thing that I won't go into here because it's just, it would take too long to explain and the payoff isn't very great. Suffice mm-hmm. to say that our association with Europe, as we attempted to like align with the European exchange rate rec- mechanism, sort of insanely fucked our economy. And this was written around the same time as um, a book called Britannia Unchained, which basically was um, all about how uh, how Europe, could, uh, Britain could become a first-rate global nation if it freed itself from the bonds of the European community. Uh, and this has basically defined the ideology that has split the Tory party for the first time into hard-right nationalists and um, pro, pro-business interests. Uh, and they've only recently come together again as the hard-right nationalists have basically capitulated as sort of sorry, the pro-business people have basically capitulated to the hard-right nationalists uh, on every element of their relationship with Europe and accepted the reconfiguration of the Tories as a largely Atlanticist project. Um, so you're going to see U- so UKIP stopped mattering, not because it was defeated, but because it won. It turned the Tories into UKIP. And the Brexit party exists also to pull the Tories uh, right on Brexit similarly. So... Um, that's kind of the basics of how we have so many parties in a first-past-the-post system. It's because they're trying to influence one another by threatening votes in um, marginal seats uh, and therefore and thereby use a small amount of influence to change, to change the direction of the big parties. So uh, the reason we have many parties is very different from the reason Australia might, have, might reasonably have um, several parties. Also, the other thing, uh, and also I'll let you go into one more after this, uh, mm-hmm. is that within the, the within um, the the UK's political parties, there's a lot more um, there's a lot more uh, variety. So, from what I can tell in Australian politics, like the Liberal National Party is it's basically just sort of one thing. There aren't sort of different blocks in it. Whereas uh, earlier this year, uh, you know, well, there's the Liberal Party Tory and MPs, the National Party, the Liberal Party. Oh, uh, yes, right. They're in coalitions, right? So the Liberal Party, right? Like <laughs> the the two uh, the two big your, 
the two big blocks, sure. But then what I mean is, see, I, I know fuck all about Australian politics, but from what I can tell, the, the parties are pretty internally consistent. Uh, whereas here, like 22 Tory MPs were fired from the Tory party all at once for for basically scuppering the prime minister's plans to get Brexit through. Uh, where or like Labour has like a, a far left, a soft left, and like a right wing that have been consistently at war, um, and have essentially been different parties who wear the same colored rosette. You know, so um, I'd say that the U- UK politics because there are so many discrete fights to have tends to fracture along many different lines, but resolve in a first past the post system. Whereas it seems like in Australian politics, there just aren't as many fights to have. Although I do despair for your Labour Party because I wonder where your left is. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, they have a way of consuming people from the left who say, well, if I want to do something to pull anything in the country to the left, I need to... There's, there's the whole fallacy of, well, if you want to change anything, you have to be in power to do it. Therefore, it's only worth joining a party that already has power. Uh, therefore, I will join the Labour Party because they're theoretically the centre-left party. And then you join the Labour Party and um, their powerful right faction then goes to the party conference every year and says, we will be punishing refugees. And once it's been vo- voted on at the party conference, um, everybody is obliged to vote in favour of that policy for the entire year. Like- so basically, just lots of, lots of people who uh, yeah, join up saying... Hey, I'm going to make a difference, and as soon as they get in there, they go. There will be no differences. I think. I mean, is the Labour Party in Australia? Is it a mass membership party like the Labour Party here, where you could sign up and like vote on the policies and elect the leader and this things of that nature? Uh, yes, there's there's kind of a split between how much um, of a like on various things, like voting for the leader of the party. There is a certain percentage of that vote that goes to rank and file members, and then. Um, another amount of the vote that comes from like office holders. Oh my god, office holders! <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the Australian word for it. There's a burp in the middle of it. So yeah, it's, it's depressing. Is the short answer. Um, but yeah, it's this whole thing of like people saying, <clears throat> whole thing of people saying, oh well, we, you you can't vote for the Greens because they because um, they're not in office, so they can't do anything. And it's like, yeah, that's almost like that's the voting part. Like if it just makes you wonder, like if all the people who looked at a particular political party with a stance and said, oh, I'd vote for them, but I'd be throwing my vote away because they're not in power. If all the people who had that thought all actually voted for that party, uh, how much would the situation change? But instead, people seem to do this kind of precluding of you know, of the result by saying, well, if they're not currently in party, I cannot see a future in which they would be. Well, I mean, one of, the, one of the big things that happened, right, was that there were these moments in recent UK history that caused mass class consciousness among, like, large groups of people. So, um, like, for example, the, uh, the, the, when the coalition happened in 2010, um, there, when they raised the, they promised not to raise tuition fees and they raised them by 6,000 pounds, um, there was a mass movement of students that was, like, ended up being the germ of the... Um, of the larger movement that sort of brought Jeremy Corbyn to power uh, in the Labour Party, and hopefully we'll be bringing him to power in the country uh, in the next, um, you know, couple of weeks, where like it is, it it 
it was a mass protest movement that then got that then made tons of people who are now in their like you know mid to late twenties and early thirties realize that they had a stake in and could change politics. And you know this is the beginning of like all of the sort of the the young left candidates, the young left intellectuals and stuff, like the mass movement politics in the UK. I mean, it's not the beginning of mass movement politics in the UK, obviously, but it's the begin. It was the beginning of like this wave of it. So if you want your um, Labour Party to be changed, like you need almost like heighten the contradictions. You need an event that causes a mass outbreak of class consciousness uh, among Australian people, most likely younger Australian people. Uh, we should probably stick a pin in it there, I think. Hey, stick a pin um, right in all of those questions and answers. Yes. Uh, so thanks for coming back. I'm going to stick the, I'm going to jam this back into the show and then we're going to shift the big gear stick and we'll be right back into the part that we didn't have any problems with. So thank you again, Riley. And we'll hear from you in like two seconds. Um, the polls, the po- the polls in Britain are looking pretty good. Uh, we have we are closing, we are closing in on the Conservative Party. Uh, we're actually nearer to the Conservative lead than we were in 2017. Ooh. Like even the polls that t- traditionally undercount Labour are already predicting a hung Parliament. Don't get excited like, like we did. <laughs> Yeah. Nothing good ever happens. <laughs> good things aren't possible. <laughs> um, no, I, I I tend to like only look at polls for um, direction of travel, not for point of travel. But the excitement, the crowd size, the social media engagement, and shit, like 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 conservative MPs and candidates can't go anywhere without getting like booed by everyone in town Um, like they're constantly being run out of wherever they go outside of like the Tory heartland shires around London so like I'm not saying that things are looking good but we are currently campaigning in a position of strength and if everyone focuses and keeps knocking on doors with their constituency parties and keeps telling people that Labour has the positive message for us to win that all of these policies that the BBC have said are hopelessly complicated, like the Brexit policy, which is just take it off the peg deal and put it back to the people in a referendum, are hopelessly complicated. Like, these aren't hopelessly complicated. You can explain them. You can win people round. You can win your friends round. You can go knock on doors for all the British Punta Vista listeners. Like, it's out there for us to win, and it's within reach, and it's more within reach than it was in 2017. So we have to keep going. Uh, fingers crossed. I'm going to vote for him twice. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, um, actually, the Daily Mail invented a scandal around someone, uh, like some university student on Facebook saying, vote labor early and vote labor often, being like, how deep does the criminal conspiracy (laughs) go? And there were were multiple articles about it. Oh, there was also, um, there's also all of the news about all the increased voter registration as well, right? I think like two, two and a half million increased voter, more voters. Uh, before the thanks, Stormzy, and then, yeah. and then of course going back to the stuff around the BBC, um, the stuff that the BBC was running on its social media channels in the hours before the closing of voter registration was like, isn't uh, isn't politics just shitty sometimes? What do you <laughs> like more than politics? <laughs> Answer here, and people were like. Hey. 
Rather than politics, wouldn't you have an extra episode of The Kardashians? That's it. That's that's voter engagement. It's like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist about the BBC, but I have to make an effort to not be. Yeah, they make it hard. Mm. Yeah, and and, uh, as I've seen people point out, like, there is a difference between this idea of, like, there's a massive conspiracy to control this entire arm of our media, which again, very similar to Australia with the ABC, where, you know, there there are people who very clearly think like a lot of, say, boomer-aged, you know, center-left people um, who think that there is like a conspiracy by which the prime minister's office is contacting the ABC and, and like directly telling them which stories to run and that kind of thing. But there's a difference between that, which would be a very legitimate conspiracy theory, versus the realities of a publicly funded institution, which needs to be protected by the electorate. Because what happens if nobody external to that shows any interest in it is that the people who who get to exert external pressure are the people who are deciding on how much funding it gets. And, you know, it's probably a good analogy to the NHS, where... If it's a publicly funded thing and you've had a conservative government for a while, they can just set about doing things like, you know, appointing people who are favorable to their ideology to different positions in in editorial and boards and that kind of thing. But they can also do things like, you know, successive rounds of reducing funding so that then when the ABC does something like they have had to do, like say, uh, we will know, you know, we're not going to cover the Olympics um, they've said they aren't, go- they aren't going to cover the Olympics on their radio broadcast because they had their funding reduced by like $700 million last year. And in turn, you immediately see conservative commentators turn around and say, oh, well, if the public broadcaster isn't going to cover the Olympics, what's the point in even having them? And it's just the classic conservative thing of chip away at the funding for a thing. Note that the quality of the services has been reduced um, or, or the the expanse of the services has been reduced and then complain that, you know, why are we giving all this money to a thing that we aren't getting the best possible results out of? Uh, classic move, very NHS. You'll love to see it. Can I, can I do one, one more thing before we move on, which is that Absolutely. Britain's doing I, an, another twist on this, which is that... I will, channel- hold on a second. I'll, I will just say... I'll edit around this stuff, but um, but we've we've kind of done an hour already, so I think oh that my. we should just keep going and then yeah. and then just have it be an, an election special. Nice. Yeah. So Continue. Channel Four uh, hosted a climate debate, like a debate specifically on climate, um, and uh, Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage declined to attend, and so they were empty chaired. So like, <coughs> there were two melting ice sculptures in their place. And now, so they actually did the ice sculptures. I read yeah, this, but did I didn't know if it was a joke. It, unfortunately, it wasn't ice sculptures of Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage. It was just <laughs> ice sculptures of a globe. It'd be way cooler if it was an ice Much sculpture cooler. of Boris Johnson. That'd be awesome. Be awesome. Um, but no, unfortunately, uh, it was just globes. Um, and uh, now, uh, if the Conservative government is reelected, they're going to review Channel 4's license to continue broadcasting. Cool. Mm. So, huh. yeah, that they they basically 
um, didn't because they, they were going to send like uh, not the leader because it was a leaders debate. They were going to send Michael Gove, who's like tried to be leader three times, uh, failed, and then just was uh, Defra, so environment secretary. They were going to no, you can talk to our environment secretary, not the leader. All the other leaders can talk to the environment secretary, and they were like, nope, it's going to be the leader. Uh, and they didn't budge, and now Boris Johnson's like, well, if we get back into power, your license is being reviewed. So... Very unsubtle stuff. Deeply un... Well, they don't need to be subtle. Like, why do they need to be subtle? Like, they, they just have the power to do what they want to do, and 40% of the country is going to vote conservative regardless, because they all... Like, 40% of the country either is, like, a wealthy landowner, or is a petty bourgeoisie guy. Like who bought his council flat in 1984 for like 10,000 pounds, like a 20th of its value from the government because the Thatcher, because Thatcher realized in the eighties, she was like, people only vote conservative when they are property owners. So we have all of this social housing. So let's just make a generation of property owners. So every single person in Britain's a property owner, but no one in Britain is ever going to either be a property owner again or access any kind of housing service again. So she basically like bought the Conservative Party this impenetrable generation of voters by people who were just made rich under her when she just gave away the whole public sector for like a tenth of its worth. Which, by the way, is how you run a country like a business. Because businesses just sell all their productive assets for nothing and then rent them back from whoever they sell them to. Hmm. Yeah, so like there, there, there is just 40% of the country that's going to vote Conservative no matter what. Uh, and, and that's sort of why, um, but yeah, it's, uh, and so we're never, we're, we're never going to get to those people. So what we have to do, I mean, this is true, I think in the States, I'm very excited for this to be true in Australia as well. I mean, you, you guys haven't yet had your sort of big electoral left movement, but I'm, I'm waiting for it, uh, we all is <laughs> appeal to the people who are like, Understand that, that you're never going to get those people on side. Like, their material interests are with the conservatives. Fine. They're, they're off doing their thing. We have to just get more people on our side. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, fingers crossed for Jeremy. <sighs> Hoping for the boy. Uh, you can find Riley on the Trash Future podcast. You can. Available from all places that podcasts are at. Literally I all of them. <laughs> pretty, pretty much all of them. Um, if the, you can't find them, you can go on to Complain Twitter. to Andrew. Well, yeah, you can complain to me. <laughs> if, if you can't find us, complain at at I-L-L-Y-B-O-C-E-A-N on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Trash Future, check them out. They're covering all this sort of stuff, all kinds of good things. If you're in the UK, go to their live shows. Uh, oh, actually, can up? I can I do the quick plug before we go? Please do, please uh, do. We when's this coming out? Uh, Monday. Mon Monday. Yeah. Monday. On, on okay. a day. So tomorrow. Well, if I'll you are, if you're in the UK, uh, then on Tuesday, our day. I don't know when their day is. I'll peek behind the curtain. I got here twelve hours early because I thought this was going to be recorded tomorrow morning. I'm still drunk on port. Um. Uh, uh, we are having a live show with Rob Delaney, star of Stage and Screen, uh, on December 3rd at Voxel Comedy Club. So do do please come along to that. Uh, the link will be in the description of whatever our most recent episode was. So uh, check it out there. There you go, folks.
Um, and as always from us, if you would like an extra bonus episode every week, um, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Vista. And don't ask us to do live shows. It's not, it's, it's never going to happen. It's very logistically difficult. It's you, guys do, difficult. you guys do live shows in the Discord? We live, we live in too many countries. We're we Mr. Live in Worldwide. We're the pit bull of podcasts. <laughs> uh, if you would like to write into the show with a question please write into mailbag at buntavista.com uh, and if you would like to phone in and leave us a message you know have a little little chit chat or whatever uh, you can call in on 1-800-317-515 we should get a P.O. box for gifts yeah but then people send stuff to it they'll send us a mail bomb yeah you should you should you should get one of your enemies to get a P.O. box in your name. Oh, my goodness. Find out one of your enemies' addresses and say that's your P.O. box. Nice. Huh. Well, uh, that's it, everybody. Thanks for stopping by, and thank you, Riley, for giving us the old British update, In it. Cheers, oh. governor. Uh, 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 cla- it's right ga- mental. Uh, gave freebie to injured fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the yeah, only that sentence is, that- I could do, folks. That is just a reminder to you folks, if you would like a Trash Future t-shirt, please wander into traffic and have yourself struck by a moving vehicle. That's the only way that merch is available from Trash Future. We we only found out about it because apparently the person was like a friend of a friend uh, and then posted on Facebook and I was like, wait a minute, that's my podcast. That's <laughs> you so were listening lazy. to while you were run down in traffic. The uh, crime pass for the week is uh, if you see a trash future person uh, on the streets, you can run them over with the car. (laughs) They get free healthcare and a (laughs) t-shirt. That's it? Yeah. No, come on. The trash future t-shirt is actually funded by the NHS. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let the Tories take it away. That's right. Tories are looking to defund uh, podcast t-shirts and we can't let that happen. We only have 10 mediums and 9 2XLs left, so if you're like a master blaster, then uh, yeah, go ahead and get run over and we'll give one to you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.